I think we're almost there. I, I do want to uh, just say a couple of words about the experience that many of us had last evening uh, in our international dinner. Um, first of all, so I don't forget this, if you have any video links to that at all, if you had your your phone out, any way you were taking pictures and videos, would you please send them to us? Uh, because I want to see those over and over again. It was an extraordinary moment uh, of fellowship together as God's people. Through it, we found out a bit of what it means for the body of Christ to serve together uh, and to blend abilities and vision and, and gifts uh, to, to produce something that was for the good of us all. Uh, Joel and Tia, thank you very much for last evening. Joel and Tia and the Grace and Race team and whoever else was connected to that event did a phenomenal job and blessed us all. We learned from this what it means for us to celebrate various cultural expressions. More than just debating our cultural differences, we celebrated our cultural strengths and abilities. It was a beautiful thing. We heard, we heard the scriptures read in eight different languages. We sang praise to our Lord Jesus in five different languages. We had 60 of our children, yes, 60 of our children, dancing and celebrating around the room throughout the evening, engaged in an incredible experience with, which I would guess they will remember as we will for a long time to come. Thank you to all of you who shared. We, we learned what it means for a child of God to, to dance like King David with all of her might before the Lord. <laughs> Kia, thank you, because you helped our hearts to soar last evening. We learned a bit of what it means to experience heaven on earth. And I know that can be a cliche, but this is no cliche. As I study my Bible, the book of Revelation, what happened last night is going to happen forever. Only without any more sin, any more self, any more pride, any more prejudice, any more anything. It will be pure, unadulterated, glorious, Omni, not just multicultural, omnicultural worship experience forever and ever. And for that, we thank Jesus. Because it is because of Him. <laughs> to God be the glory. If your Bibles are open to Matthew chapter 10, we continue. Uh, in our series of messages through the Gospel of Matthew and come to a text which I am sure in many ways does not seem like a fitting child dedication morning text uh, and uh, it may in some ways seem like it doesn't quite fit but I, I think it actually does. In this text in Matthew 10, Jesus is telling us 
what we as his disciples need to be ready to do to carry the message of the gospel to a lost and to a dying world. And he told us last week in the end of chapter 9 through the first 15 verses of chapter 10 that we must pray and we must go. We must pray that the Lord would send forth laborers into the harvest field. Why? Because the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. And then we must not only pray, we must actually, in a sense, be willing to be the answer to our own prayer by being ready to go and be the very laborers that we are praying for. And so we we looked at the early part of chapter 10 to see a bit of what this praying and this going entails. But we come now to verse 16 where Jesus warns us that in our going, we are going to experience some things that will not be easy. Please follow as I read, beginning in verse 16 down through verse 21, 22. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is one of those texts of Scripture that We would never choose to preach on our own, but when you're preaching through a book of the Bible, you have to preach whatever God puts next. Uh, This is not an easy text, but it is a text that describes for us what we need to become in this generation, who we need to be and how we need to live and how we need to pass on to our children, to the next generation, the kind of courage, the kind of faith, the kind of commitment that Jesus describes. In this past week, I was thinking about our congregation and struck by the fact that we have so many in this flock, in this congregation, who are so committed to evangelism, to to sharing the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I went through the membership list this week, and I just started counting up people that I know of who are doing this and that and other things uh, to, to... as we talked about last week, touch the body and reach the soul in mission in our community. And there are dozens of people doing all manner of things uh, by way of mission. We thank God for you. We thank God for what God has already stirred among you. And one of the things we would love as, as pastors is to hear from you stories of how God is using you in evangelism. Would you, would you send to us just email to us, little, little 
short accounts of, of somebody you talk to, some, some effort you're making to reach out to the poor or to other people, uh, send those to us so that we can pray for you. We will pray for you. And so that we can cheer you on. Because we do want to celebrate together what God is doing through us. But here we are in this text and we find out that as we continue to do that, as we increase and abound in going into this world, we are going to face opposition. Let me, let me summarize this chapter like this. As we go into the world, as we go into the world, we will, by our allegiance and our lifestyle, offend everybody. As we go into the world, we will, by our allegiance and our lifestyle, offend everybody. And so, we must be ready to live without blame, to suffer without fear, to endure without fail, to trust without doubt, and to hope without despair. That's the message of Matthew chapter 10. Let me unpack it for you this, this afternoon. Let me, let me establish, first of all, this initial thought that as we go into the world, we will offend everybody. Notice verse 22. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. I should, I should clarify, Jesus clearly and obviously does not mean every single person in the world is going to hate us because earlier on he has said the harvest is what? Plentiful. That means there's going to be a lot of people who when they hear the message of the gospel through us are going to come to faith in Christ. He's not saying every single person without exception is going to hate us, but he is saying every single kind of person without distinction is going to hate us. And he goes on in this text to tell us of at least three groups of people that are going to hate us. First of all, religious people. Verse 17, beware of men for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. Synagogues are places of worship. Over in John 16, Jesus says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. This is the reality as we go out, religious people, spiritual people, in the history of the church, Christians have at least as often been persecuted by the official institutional church as much as by unbelievers. The fact of the matter is that when a world of religious people see a group of people that really mean it, that really love Jesus, Jesus says that the world, its religious people, will persecute us. But not just the religious people, rulers as well. Notice verse 18, you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Rulers will persecute us. Governors will persecute us. Presidents will persecute us. People in power love allegiance, and when we're not willing to give our highest allegiance to them, they will come after us. Religious people, rulers, 
And then Jesus adds something that pierces us to our hearts. Even our relatives will persecute us. Verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Down to verse 34, Jesus adds, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. What's Jesus saying? He is saying that if we love him supremely, if we are devoted to him with all of our hearts, we will have family members that hate us and reject us. We will offend, he says, everyone. As we, as we go into the world, we will. Now, how will we offend them? We will, by our allegiance and our lifestyle, offend them. Notice in the text how this persecution is closely connected to Jesus. It's closely connected to our relationship with Jesus. Notice verse 18. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, or because of me. He's, he's saying, because you love me, because you are following me, because you're my disciple, because your allegiance is to me, you will be dragged before governors and kings. Verse 22, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Because you love the name of Jesus and proclaim the name of Jesus and are not ashamed of the name of Jesus. People will hate you for, he says, my name's sake. In verse 32, he says that we must acknowledge or confess Him before others. When we bear the name of Christ, when we say Jesus is Lord, there is a whole world of opposition that is stirred up when Christ and is our Lord and His will is our law and His gospel is our message and His holiness and love are our delight. Friends, we will offend people. You cannot say that God is holy and just without somebody getting mad. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but you can talk about God all day long if you're talking about His love. Talk about His kindness. Talk about His gentleness. Call Him Father. And the world will listen. But as soon as you say, God is in His heaven, and He is on the throne, and He is holy and just, and He is not only Father, He is Judge. And the day is coming when all of us will give an account to Him for the life that we have lived. And those who have not repented of their sins and trusted in Christ will suffer under the just judgment of God. As soon as you declare that, you'll see fire in people's eyes. Isn't it right? Isn't that right? As we go into the world our allegiance to Christ. You, you, cannot, you cannot say that the Bible is the inspired, authoritative Word of God. 
without offending people. You cannot say that Jesus' word is law. You cannot say that God is the one who defines sin. Not culture, not tradition, not political correctness, not popular opinion. God defines it. You cannot say what God says about marriage or justice or bigotry or sexuality or purity or generosity or greed or anything else without stepping on somebody's toes. You cannot say that Jesus is the eternal Son of God You cannot say Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and no one can come to the Father except through Him. You cannot say these things out of allegiance to Christ without offending someone. Not only will our allegiance offend, but our lifestyle will. Earlier on, we already saw this right in Matthew 5, Jesus said that we will be persecuted for righteousness' sake because of the way we live, because of our commitment to holiness and righteousness. Not that we are holier than thou, but we are sincerely seeking to please Christ with our lives. And and the more we do that, the more it offends As we go into the world, we will, by our allegiance and our lifestyle, offend everyone. So so what do you do? What do you do? What's Jesus' answer to this? How How does He respond to this reality that He has just told us? Well, He says, first of all, in light of this, we must be willing to live without blame. Look, look at verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Be blameless, be innocent, be without guile, be a sincere person, a loving person, a person of goodwill. Don't be a liar, don't be a thief, don't be a gossip, don't be a talebearer, don't share juicy news about other people, don't indulge in porn and whatever else it is. Be innocent as doves, be willing to live without blame. So that at the very least, if they're going to persecute us, let us have them persecute us for doing what is right rather than for what is wrong. As we go into the world, we will, by our allegiance and our lifestyle, offend everyone. So we must be willing to live without blame. And then second, to suffer without fear. Notice what Jesus says in verse 26. So have no fear of them. I don't know about you, uh, but that creates a kind of emotional disconnect for me. He has just told us that they're going to drag us into court, that they're going to kill us, that they're going to hate us. But hey, don't worry about it. Don't be afraid. Have no fear of them. Verse 28, don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Don't be afraid of those that can kill you. That's what he says. Verse 31, fear not, therefore. I don't know about you, but I know fear really well. Fear and I, we've been together for a long time. I'm I'm afraid of saying things that offend people. I'm afraid of preaching sermons like this. Uh, Who's not going to like it? Who's going to get mad? Who's going to react? Who's, 
never going to come back. Uh, I'm afraid of losing friends. I'm afraid of sounding narrow-minded. I'm afraid of sounding bigoted. I'm afraid of sounding intolerant and, and incurring the wrath of our generation. I, I know these fears. I know these fears. I suspect you do too. So, does Jesus just tell us not to be afraid? Well, he tells us not to be afraid, but then he goes on to give us some hope in the midst of this. So let's move on. As we go into the world, we will, by our allegiance and our lifestyle, offend everyone. So we must be willing to live without blame, to suffer without fear, to endure without fail. Notice verse 22. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures. What does that mean? The one who refuses to quit. The one who refuses to turn back. The one who refuses to say, it's not worth it. The one who keeps on keeping on. The one who holds on to the faith, holds on to Jesus, holds on to the gospel, holds on to the word, stays on the path, joins up with others to keep him on that path. The one who endures to the end, crosses the finish line, will be saved. Jesus is saying, endure without fail. Oh, how many times have I felt like quitting? How many times have you felt like quitting? How many times has it seemed it's not worth it? We're going to see in a minute, oh, it is worth it. It is worth it. But we need to resolve in our own spirits, in our own heart, that by the grace of God, knowing that He has His hold on us, that we will keep our hold on Him. Knowing that He will not let us go, let us resolve to not let Him go. Knowing that He's going to go the whole journey with us, let us go the whole journey with Him. Let us endure without fail. Let us press on. Don't quit, brothers and sisters. I, I guarantee in a group this size, there are people this week tempted to quit. Tempted to say, enough. Done with it. Don't quit. Keep on going. God is going to keep on going with you. God is going to keep you. Endure without fail. Endure without fail. As we go into the world, we will, by our allegiance and lifestyle, offend everybody. And so we must be willing to live without blame, to suffer without fear, to endure without fail, to trust without doubt. And this is where we begin to find our reason for hope. To trust without doubt. What do we have to trust? Well, first of all, we have to trust, we need to trust that our God is going to give us the words we need when we need them. Now what chapter 10, verses 19 and 20 say, when they deliver you over, don't be anxious how you're going to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. You need to trust that God the Father through His Spirit is going to give you the words to say. But even more than that, you need to trust that God will always know your circumstances. He will always know where you are. Notice verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? 
and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father that is your father knowing but even the hairs of your head are all numbered fear not therefore you are of more value than many sparrows the father knows your circumstances and your needs he knows when a single sparrow falls to the ground how many gazillion sparrows are there in the world And when one falls to the ground, he knows. His eye, I feel like singing it. (laughs) I'm not going to. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know, finish it, he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me me. We need to trust without doubt. Trust that He will give us words when needed. Trust that He will know our circumstances and our needs. His eye is on us. The Father's eye right now is on you. You never, never are separated from the watchful care of God. Never. Wherever you are, whatever you're facing, whoever you're facing, whatever the persecution or the affliction, his eye is on the sparrow and his eye is on you. As we go into the world, we will, by our allegiance and our lifestyle, offend everybody. And so we must be willing to live without blame, to suffer without fear, to endure without fail, to trust without doubt, and finally, to hope without despair. We have to have hope. Hope in what? Hope in God and hope in His eternal promises. I I want us to do in these next few minutes a study of the promises of God in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10 and verse 23, promise number one. He who endures to the end, what? Will be saved. (laughs) Saved. Rescued. Saved, as, as we like to say, saved from the penalty and power and presence of sin. He will save us. He will deliver us from hell. He will deliver us into heaven. He will rescue us from this world. He will rescue us from all persecution. He will save us. Matthew 10 and verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Ah, this is the great paradox of The life of faith. The life of the disciple. You want to find your life? Lose it. You want to to lose your life? Hold on to it. Try to keep it. Are you trying to find yourself? What's the language of our time? I'm trying to find myself. Well, here's how you find yourself. Lose yourself. Lose yourself in Jesus Christ. Lose yourself in the gospel. Lose yourself in his cause. Lose yourself in his mission. Lose yourself in the pursuit of holiness. Lose yourself in the pursuit of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Lose yourself in this, and you will find 
yourself. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a paradox, isn't it? Not how the world thinks. It's counterintuitive. The world says just grab it all. Grab it all. Pull it in. And Jesus says, let go of it all. For my sake, let go of it all. And you will find everything. Promise number three, verses 40 through 42. Whoever receives you, receives me. Whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. What's this teaching us? What Jesus is saying here is that as we go along in life, as we go into the world and face persecution, we're going to come up to and with people, brothers and sisters in the Lord, some of them prophets, proclaimers of the gospel, those who are on the front lines of the gospel. And Jesus says, make sure you take care of each other. Make sure you take care of each other. And in fact, if you are willing to take care of a prophet, somebody on the front lines of gospel mission, you will get a prophet's reward. Now that's, that's pretty good. You give a cup of cold water to somebody who is faithfully and valiantly fighting the cause of the gospel and the cause of truth. Just give them a cup of cold water and it's as if you are on the front lines. It's as if you are the prophet and the day's going to come when you're going to get his reward. This is, this is God's economy of things. This is, this is how God does things in the generosity of his spirit and the generosity of his heart. You will receive a reward. You'll receive a well done. You'll receive a blessing. You'll receive a crown. And here's the greatest reward of all, the greatest promise of all. Verse 32. And if you, if you acknowledge me before men, if, if you are, if you love me enough to actually tell people you love Jesus, if you, if you acknowledge me before men, if you confess that I am Lord, and that I am your Savior, Jesus says, I will acknowledge you in the presence of my Father. What does he mean? <laughs> this, is, this is the best reward of all. There's nothing better than this. This is Jesus saying that on that day to come, if we have in fact fought the good fight, if we have in fact been faithful to the end, Jesus is saying that on that day, he will look at the Father, and then he will look at you, and he'll say to the Father, this one is ours. This one is ours. This one was faithful. This one was faithful to the end. Oh, Father, I, I watched this one. He, he, she bore witness 
in their family. This, this mother was faithful in, in teaching her children about Jesus. Even at times when the children didn't want to hear it, she was faithful in her calling. She's one of ours. And then there was this brother over here, Father, who in the workplace had moments where he knew that co-workers were saying things that, that were brazenly dis honorable to you, Father, and, and out of love for you, he couldn't be silent. He had to say something. He acknowledged us before others. Oh, this is one of ours. And then there's this woman over here who opens her home, opens her home, it seems, incessantly to, to people to have them stay with her. And, and she feeds them, and she shelters them, and she loves on them, and she always tells them about Jesus. And on that day, Jesus will say, she's one of ours, Father. And then there are those folks of risen hope, those people that go out on the street and pound the pavement. They go on the 69th Street, and they, they, they just start talking to people about Jesus. And they do it fearlessly, and they do it relentlessly, and they do it unceasingly. Oh, Father, they're ours. And then there are those who Jesus will look on on that day and say, this one here, these folks here, they, oh, how they loved the poor. How they loved those in need. They, they took my example seriously I, in my ministry, I would touch the body that I might reach the soul. And these people love to touch the body in terms of providing for needs that they might reach the soul. Oh, Father, they're ours. They're ours. And on and on it goes. I could tell stories. I could take the next four hours right here. Each one of you that I know of coming to mind, bearing witness to a husband who mocks you for your faith. On that day, Jesus will say, you're mine. You're mine. He'll say, I'll be your husband forever. For those that have had children turn on them, because as parents, they, they had to take a stand for what was right and true, and, and the children didn't like it. And the children rebelled and pushed them away. On that day, the, the son will say, oh, those parents were faithful. They were faithful. They're ours. And then Jesus will turn to us. Well done, good and faithful servant. I know of no higher reward I know of no sweeter crown than that verbal crown that will be placed on the head of the faithful. Well done. Well done. If, in fact, when we go out into the world, we will offend everyone, religious people, rulers, and relatives, then we must, in fact, be committed to these things that Jesus says. Culminating in this, we must hope without fail.
we must hope without despair because our God is a God of infinite eternal promises and our God cannot lie. Let's pray. Oh, Father, oh, Lord Jesus Christ, you who, yes, you came into this world to live among us and die for us and rise again in our behalf. You who are seated on the throne, Lord Christ, you who are King Jesus, we bow before you. We acknowledge you to be Lord. Lord, I think of those families earlier, those three families who this morning dedicated themselves to the raising of their children. May it be that they will be given grace and courage to raise this kind of children, those who will love Jesus with all their hearts and live for Jesus, whatever the cost. For this world desperately needs blazing lights lights of godliness holiness and truth be with these families and be with us all for those who are discouraged father please lift their hearts for those that are near despair fill them with hope Father, do this in such a way that we will go forth bold and we will be able to say that we do not fear those who even can kill the body because we are in the hands of the one who loves us. As our, as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, I... I I think there may, there's, there's at least two groups of people here that I wonder if the Lord wants to speak to. First of all, those that have not yet trusted in Christ, haven't yet received Christ, have not yet confessed Him to be Lord and King. I want you to know that this great Lord and King is also a wonderful Savior. And He loves to save sinners like me like you. He, he loves to forgive. He loves to rescue us from our sin so that when we're willing to lose our life, we find it in Him. If you've never done that, don't let this message scare you off. Let, the, let this message inspire you to run to Jesus and trust in Him alone. If you're in that place, you can even right now, where you're sitting, you can bow your head and heart before the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, be my Savior. Be my Savior. I need your forgiveness. I need your mercy. I need you. Be my Savior. And he's not a reluctant Savior. It's not as if he keeps you at a distance or stiff arms you or just says, no, not now. No, he will throw open his arms to you and receive you to himself with love. And then the new life will begin. 
as a follower of his. You can do that right where you are. Right where you are. Right now. Trust in him. There's one other group or type of person that I just have felt the Lord pressing on my heart over the last couple of days. And that is people who are in fact facing active persecution. Um, wonder if there are people here, believers here, who at the workplace, maybe you're, you've been skipped over for the promotion because you're a believer, maybe in your home there's hostility, maybe uh, neighbors, maybe extended family, um, but you would say right now that you are, you're, you're facing active persecution. You're being insulted, you're being maligned, you're being mocked for your faith. I want to make sure we pray for you. Um, and so what I'm going to do is, is ask everyone to kind of open their eyes at this point. And if you are a person who is facing that kind of affliction, that kind of persecution right now, and would like us to pray for you, um, I'm wondering if you'd be willing just to raise your hand right where you are right now so that there's somebody in the back there whose hand is raised. If people can look around, there's another over on this side here. Let's look around and make your way to people whose hands are raised. Anyone else who is in the middle of this kind of persecution, we want to pray for you and, and pray that God will deliver you and rescue you. Over here to my right is, is another. Uh, please gather around, folks. Um, and if there's no one near you, that's fine. Just where you are, pray for these folks. And you know as well as I do that there are others in this room who are experiencing this, though for whatever reason haven't raised their hands. May we together bring these dear ones before the Lord and pray for God's grace in their life. So in these little groups or right around these folks, maybe just a couple of minutes of quiet prayer and then I will, I will close. Heavenly Father, would you please watch over these whom you love, who are facing the opposition, the hostility of those around them. Father, would you impress on each of their hearts that you are the one who sees every sparrow fall. You are the one who numbers the, the hairs on our head. You know where we are. You know what we're facing. You know our circumstances. Father, may each of these feel in the deep places of their hearts the comfort of knowing that their Father sees them. And Father, would you by your Holy Spirit assure them of your love and persuade them of your love in Christ and make your promises precious to them. And Father, would you please give them grace for today, for the rest of this day, grace to endure. Help them, Father, by your mercy to as best they can, not worry about tomorrow or next week or how long they can keep on keeping on. Lord, just give them focus on today and your grace for today with the knowledge that you will supply for each day as it happens. Father, watch over us. We, 
We want to be bold. We want to be fearless. We, we want to shout from the rooftops that Jesus Christ is born and alive and ours and the Savior of the world. We want to be fearless. Give us courage. Give us faith. Give us hope. And Father, as we go, watch over us and keep us and protect us from all harm. In Jesus' name.